Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Not multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Chad Forster. In this episode, Chad explains how he turned his blindness into his strength. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell. Also, please leave comments. Be sure to watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube Movies and Shows. And tune into our brand new radio show, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Central Time on AM 1280, The Patriot. So, Chad, uh, when we left off last time, we were talking a little bit about visualization and how visualization can help help people. If you could just review a little bit about the power of visualization. Yeah, I think it's it's important how we can not only reimagine how certain things can work for us. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, when I went blind, I realized that I, I couldn't change my blindness, but I could change how I attached myself to my blindness. And so really, it first began with trying to figure out how I could make blind look good. And, and I know that sounds a little tongue in cheek and it's, it's supposed to, but there's a lot of truth to it. If I could never figure out how to make blind look good, how could I ever move towards acceptance in that situation? And so I had to reimagine my, my vision of greatness for myself. And at first that was, you know, being a, a role model for people who are blind, being successful in the corporate world, and as that started to unfold and, and become true, then it shifted. You know, then it was, how can I do more with my situation than what I've been doing? How can I actually turn this not only as a, you know, as a role model, that's great to be a role model for people who, who are facing disability, but beyond that, how can I help everyone who's facing adversity? How can I help everyone navigating disruption? How can I help people who want to be more resilient and who want to learn how to think more resiliently. And so that really is when I when I ended up you know, writing Blind Ambition and started giving keynote presentations all over the world because 
I realized that I had a real opportunity to help people with what I learned. Now, I didn't have the skill of writing a book at the time. I didn't have the skill of giving a keynote presentation. I had to learn all that. But those were things inside my sphere of influence. But because I had this new and improved vision of greatness for myself, it inspired me to take the bold steps that I needed to take to learn how to write a book, to get a, a published book deal through HarperCollins Leadership, to learn how to get up on stage and deliver an hour, hour and a half's worth of content in front of 5,000 people. And so having that vision of greatness, reimagining how we can make that situation work for us, is very, very important. And when we can find a way to take a struggle in our life, like my blindness, and then pivot that into helping other people, I found that now, you know, by helping other people with what I've learned from my blindness, it actually makes going blind worth it, which is a really sort of bizarre thing to think and to say out loud. But when you have a moment with someone and you realize that you've helped them navigate something significant in their life, you know, there was a particular gentleman I it comes to mind when I say that. I was I was at Harvard and I'd been elected to speak at our graduation. And this was literally the first time that I'd ever tried to use my story. And I gave a short little 12-minute talk. And this little 12-minute talk that I gave, you know, it, it ended up affecting me in a way that I never really could have anticipated. And, and, you know, it affected everyone there in a way that I never anticipated. You see, that night, one of the people in the audience, one of my classmates comes up to me and tells me that something I'd said that evening had given him hope. Now, this particular gentleman, come to find out, had lost a daughter the year before to cancer. And something I said somehow helped. Now, look, I'm not naturally a real soft and fuzzy person. But when you have a moment like that with a parent, you you experience what they're going through. You You feel what they're going through, not fully, but certainly the emotions are palpable and you know, a moment like that changes you. And it, it changed me. It showed me how helping like helping people like that could make going blind worth it. And it inspired me to move beyond myself. And so that's where, you know, when you look at the intersection of your purpose and your passion and things that have affected you and your vision of greatness, that's really where you can find that next level growth, what, what people call post-traumatic growth. And I was very fortunate enough to have found that myself and feel, feel very blessed, honestly, to, to have found that path and um, was put on that path by somebody that uh, you all may or, may or may not know there in the, the Twin Cities area, Bill George. Actually, I studied with Bill George, former chairman and CEO of Medtronics, and now he's an executive fellow at Harvard Business School. But he uh, studying with him is actually one of the things that put me on this path to doing just that. You know, there's nothing better to make someone feel better than to help another person. You know, as an eye doctor, I often get patients that have gone to many different doctors and they haven't been able to find a solution. And when I could help them or I could help them in other ways, nothing makes you feel better. And, you know, talk, expand a little bit about that, you know, helping people. And you get, you talked about that speech that there was something that you said in that speech that helped your your friend or uh, your, your classmate. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a terrible situation, what happened to him. Uh, but helping other people is special. 
you know, we we all chase, or I shouldn't say we all. I I I chased. I had been pursuing typical uh, measures of success: money, job title, scope, responsibility, and um, you know, I'd been very fortunate. I won a lot of really large deals in my career, billions of dollars in business, literally billions, and. I always thought that felt pretty good until I had the opportunity to help another human being on an intimate level like that, help them navigate a situation. And it's just really hard to put into words. It was, for me, it was an ignite moment. Something deep down inside me was, was awakened. You know, I realized that if I can do, if I can have this kind of impact on people just by sharing my story, as uncomfortable as it was, and as vulnerable as I was in sharing that story, I didn't really feel like I had an option. I felt like I had to do something because I could do some good. And it's just, it's hard to put into words, especially when it involves something in your life that has been such a source of adversity. Like for me, my blindness, it just, it gave it new meaning. All of a sudden, I didn't go through all that hardship just for me. I was now multiplying the benefits of that hardship by helping other people. It's just a, a really tremendously empowering feeling to know that you know we can we can do that good. And so now, you know, selfishly, I love that feeling. I want to I want to help as many people as I can, which is why I wrote the book Blind Ambition, and which is why I give keynotes and workshops is to to really help people because it's just. It's 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 an amazing feeling when you can meet people where they are on their journey and, and help them navigate their situations. I love the way you talk. You know, you you choose. You know, choose you could choose being happy. You could choose being sad. You could choose being positive. You could choose being depressed. And when you help somebody, that stays with you for a very long time. You know, uh, it just there's nothing. There's no better feeling than that. So tell me about when you met Stevie Wonder. That's that's an amazing story. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's it's funny. My wife and I, this was back in 2003. And I'd kind of joke like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to Hollywood, I'm going to LA for this accessibility convention. And I'd kind of joked around, I'm gonna, I wanna find a celebrity and you know, see if I can bump into someone. And we, you know, I'm, I've always been a bit of a prankster. And so we get to get to LA, I'm there on, for business and I'm at this accessibility convention. It's called CSUN, California State University at Northridge. And every year they have the world's largest accessibility convention, it has all the latest gadgets and gizmos for accessibility technology. And so I'm there, I'm walking around and who is there? None other than Grammy award-winning Stevie Wonder. So he's there and his entourage is with him. They're going around, he's checking out all the latest technology there and I, I kind of wanted to meet him but everybody was going up to him and they're asking for autographs and so I didn't want to be just another fan right so I go up to Stevie and I introduce myself I'm like Mr. Wonder it's a pleasure to meet you my name is Chad hey by chance are there any applications on your computer that you'd like to be able to use more effectively and there's a little bit of a pause here. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pretty nervous, right? Because I'm pitching Stevie Wonder, a living legend, on helping him with his computer setup. So after a brief pause, 
He comes back to me. He says, you know what? As a matter of fact, there are. Why don't you come by the studio this weekend to check it out? So the next thing I know, we're trading contact information. And I'm sitting at Roscoe's in Hollywood eating chicken and waffles with Stevie Wonder. It was surreal, you know, and I've always been a, a prankster. So I told my wife, you know, that I met Stevie Wonder, but she didn't believe me. She thought I was joking. But this time I actually wasn't joking. And that weekend we talked about a bunch of stuff and didn't occur to me really. I was, I was there telling Stevie the benefits of having a seeing eye dog when it didn't occur to me, Stevie didn't need a seeing eye dog. He had seeing eye people. <laughs> so that, that, that's a great story. And talk a little bit about some of the technology you developed for blind people uh, using the computer. Yeah, so essentially the way that it works on a Windows computer, there's a piece of software called JAWS that speaks what's on the computer. And there are different ways that it knows what to speak, but essentially it needs sort of an instruction manual of what it needs to say and when. The other thing it does is it creates or links to keyboard navigation. As you can imagine, if you're a blind computer user, a mouse is not going to be incredibly helpful because you can't see where the mouse is. Hand-eye coordination, not that good when you go blind. So you need a way to use the keyboard. And so JAWS, what JAWS does is it allows the ability to create keystrokes for an application where they don't exist and to create speech tied to certain events, certain keyboard navigation, certain requests that the user may make of the application. And so, you know, a lot of applications work out of the box and they're, they're made to work out of the box because the application developer of the application may have used good software design and or the manufacturer of the screen reader, JAWS in this case, made it work out of the box. Well, think for a moment how many applications there are in the world, how many millions and millions of software developers and software applications there are in the world. It's just not possible for a screen reading software manufacturer to make it work with all of them. And so what I did was in teaching myself how to write code to engineer my software, I started doing that professionally. So I would go in with clients and some of them were commercial clients. Some of them were public sector, you know, the US federal government or state and civilian agencies where they, they had a system that could not talk to the screen reader. So I would go in and write some code so that they could talk to one another so that people could do their jobs more effectively. And I started off just really trying to do that for myself, but I ended up doing it professionally to help other people so that they could either apply for or maintain their jobs. So that's a little bit about how it works. It gets a lot more technical than that, but that's the, the simple version. And how long did it take you to be able to do that, to develop that type of software? Well, I'd say to learn how to do it, like my first pass was six months of dedicated, but it wasn't very good. My first, the applications I wrote in six months were not good. After, you know, to get really good at it, I would say it was more like five plus years of, of doing it to where I really understood all the tools in the toolkit. Because um, without getting too technical, you can you can do things a number of different ways with the code that we were engineering. And so you could do it, 
using what's coming from Windows. You could do, you could use it. What information is coming from the application itself in a backend object model? You could write uh, a com server to go out and do some things that maybe was was too advanced for Jaws. And so there are all these thousand different ways that you can make it happen. I'll, I'll give you a, another example of it. Lotus Notes, for example. I don't know if people have used Lotus Notes, big enterprise email application that IBM had for quite some time. I was using it myself, and it just didn't work that great with the information it was getting from the operating system, from Windows. And so I did a lot of digging and found out nobody, including IBM, realized that the back-end object model library used for, it's called Domino, um, Domino databases, meaning it's the databases that Lotus Notes developers use to publish information using Lotus Notes. It had all this information available to the user interface that nobody had tapped into yet. And so I figured out how I could link JAWS into that backend database or that backend object model that was built for, for database design. And it made the application, it took it from 70% accessible to 100% accessible. And it was really easy and really reliable. It just required having the right pointers. I mean, it's really amazing how many blind people with this software that you've helped. And that's got to be, that's got to give you a pretty good feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a really heartwarming feeling sitting down with somebody who has, you know, been frustrated and scared and uncertain of their job prospects, you know, just wanting to feed their family and feeling helpless, you know, they... They didn't have the ability to bridge the divide and they weren't sure if it was even possible. And then to come in and write an application that helps them, it gives them that, that ability, that capability so that they can bring their talents to the job because the system wasn't getting in the way. It was, it was working for them and, and to, to take that uncertainty and to take that fear out of the equation so that they could do their jobs confidently and, provide for their families, it's it's a really hard feeling to be. You talk about how our weaknesses set us apart. Can you talk about that a little bit, that whole concept? Yeah, well, nobody's great at everything. You know, nobody's great at everything. I, I was, I had a talent for writing code. I had a talent for, um, I, my, my day job was really pricing strategy and financial strategy. So I was really good at understanding a financial model. I was really good at building a financial model and engineering the pricing so that we could we could get what we wanted out of a particular opportunity, whether that be the profitability or whatever the case may be, winning the deal, being profitable, all that. However, it should come as no surprise to anyone that making the documents or the artifacts related to what we were doing look beautiful to the eye is not my greatest strength. I could spend hours and hours and hours on that task and never have the same result as someone who's talented at that task. And by talented, I mean someone who could actually see it. <laughs> Bar's pretty low. But if we learn how to lean on our strengths but surround ourselves with people who have strengths that offset our weaknesses, 
we can create an overall better product. And that's something that my blindness forced me to do because I just couldn't, I couldn't make things look beautiful to the eye. And no matter how much time I spent on that, it wasn't going to be a good use of my time. So over time, I learned to just surround myself with people who were really good at, at what I was not. And it turns out we ended up producing better quality products in shorter time because everybody was doing what they're good at. And guess what? When you're doing what you're good at, you're motivated. You're you're acting quickly. You're producing with excellence. And everybody's doing what they love. Who doesn't love doing what they're really good at. And so the products were better. The cost was less to get it out the door and our success rate was higher. So I think it's really important for us to learn how to lead with our strengths and then rely on others to help us offset our weaknesses. I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point because I think a lot of people rely and focus too much on their weaknesses and not on their strengths. Yeah. It's, it's an easy trap to fall into, and you don't want to be horrible at something, but if you realize, look, I, I don't even really enjoy this, and I'm not good at it. Well, you might not enjoy it because you're not good at it. What's the point, right? Is it possible to bring someone onto the team or you know, into the fold so that they can help you with that? And if it is, you know, why not do what you really love doing and have someone else do what they love doing so that collectively you can push better products out the door? Well, we're speaking with uh, Mr. Chad Foster, who's the author of Blind Ambition, motivational speaker, has a great newsletter. Uh, also, remember to tune into op the Open Your Eyes podcast. A new episode is released every Monday morning where you get your podcasts. Uh, and look for our Open Your Eyes documentary, which is on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, YouTube, movies, and shows. Back with Chad in just a moment. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. MacU Health, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. We're back with Mr. Chad Foster, author of Blind Ambition, motivational speaker. He's certainly motivating me and helping me to look at the positive. I hope he's helping the audience out there. I hope he's helping you out in the audience to look at things from a much more positive point of view. He's a, somebody who's blind and has taken his blindness to a place that nobody could believe uh, what he's created and he's helped so many people. So I wanna talk about something we didn't talk about yet. Your first job in Atlanta, you mm -hmm. have your dog, you have one hand, you have to go shopping. You can only carry groceries with one hand. Tell us that story. Well, it was tough, you know, honestly. And I, as I accepted the job for my first, it's my first job out of college. And I started thinking about it and the move and I'm moving from Knoxville to Atlanta. And everybody asks me, oh, are you excited? Are you excited? I say, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. And you know, the truth that I hid from them, and maybe I was hiding from myself, is that I wasn't really excited. I was terrified. I was scared to death. 
you know, the prospect of I had to leave everything that I knew behind. My parents who would help me, my friends who would help me, my support system, the only city I'd known for my entire life, uh, and moved to Atlanta and a you know, big city. I didn't know how I was going to get around. I, you know, nowadays, you know, people have smartphones that tell them where they are. But back then, I just I had to learn the bus and the train system without being able to see. And so I had to just sit by the bus driver and hope that he remembered to let me know when it was my stop. Thankfully, nobody wants a giant German shepherd on a bus for very long, but yeah, having that German shepherd lead me around, as you pointed out, meant that, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, hands to carry my groceries. I had one free hand to, to carry my things. And, and on top of all that, I had a new consulting job to learn. I had, you know, I just got this new, great, highly technical consulting job. And so I had to learn how to write software. I had to learn how to travel to different airports and hotels and client sites. And, and I had just gone blind a year or so earlier. And so, you know, the, the truth of the matter is I was, I was scared. I was scared of failing everyone who had supported me along the way. I was, I was scared of the situation, but what I was more scared of than anything, I was absolutely terrified of living a life with regret. And that's the fear that ended up dominating my decision-making. Sure, I was scared of failure, but I was more scared of not reaching my full potential. And I think in life, all of us have fears and if we think hard enough, surely there are counter fears. Meaning I could have been too scared to move to Atlanta. But when we stop and we have those moments, I'm scared of this situation. I'm scared of failing. And we do what I call the future you exercise. What would future you be more scared of? Failing by moving to Atlanta or not knowing how wildly successful your life could have been if you just had a little more courage and stepped into the fear. So I've learned throughout the course of these journeys, a lot of people think that, you know, courage is, is the absence of fear. Well, it's not. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing something despite the presence of fear, stepping into the fear, embracing the fear. And there'll be times in our lives when we've got great courage and a lot of effort, and despite our best efforts, we'll still fall short. And you know what? That's okay. It's natural. If you're not failing from time to time, then you're not aiming high enough. Plus, wouldn't you rather fail trying to do something great than trying to do something easy? If I'm going to fail, I want to be the blind guy who failed to successfully land an airplane. That's the guy I want to be. I'm okay with that kind of failure. Now, the FAA, on the other hand, they're not okay with that kind of failure. <laughs> Good. 
I mean, that, I mean that, that, those are tremendous points uh, to be able to face your fear, that everybody has fear, but to be able to step through your fear. I love the way you, I, I love the way you say that because it, it just makes it okay to be afraid. Yeah. But it, doesn't, but it doesn't make it okay not to step through it. That's right. We all have fear. Some of us choose to succumb to the fear and others of us choose to not. You know, I, I really believe you know, all of us are born and all of us will die. Some of us choose to live more so than others. And so what are we going to do in between? Are we going to choose to live and step into the fear, into the unknown, into the adventure? I think that that really is, uh, is part of living a life with no regrets, right? We're all guaranteed a beginning and an ending, but what happens in the middle, that's up to us. You tell an interesting story about when you were negotiating with the FBI. If you could tell that story. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'd, I'd just been hired to do pricing for these large multi-billion dollar deals at a defense IT company in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And so I'm there with my boss and the CEO, a couple other people, we walk into this big conference room. This is in Clarksburg, West Virginia, which is where the CJIS, CJIS, Criminal Justice Information Systems Division, is located for the FBI. And we walk in, and there's a bunch of attorneys from the FBI flanking us on either side. And as soon as we walk in, everybody takes one look at my dog, and all you hear is a chorus of, oh. <laughs> Needless to say, when you're negotiating a $200 million deal with the FBI, it's crucial to have an advantage. We had a huge advantage with Romeo there, my disarming four-legged friend. He he definitely owned his, earned his commission bone on that one. <laughs> they, they loved him. You talk about humor, how you could, humor is disarming, how you could use humor to your advantage. Tell us about that. Well, I think humor makes people relate to you. I mean, I think successful people in life know how to make other people comfortable in virtually any situation. So I think humor is, is critically important. I think it helps me relate with an audience. It helps me relate with other people. It makes people understand that, yes, I can take my job seriously. I can take my goals seriously. But I don't take myself or my situation so seriously that I can't have fun. You know, all of us have a limited time here on earth. And so I think it's really important that we have fun while we're here. And so I, I think humor is a great way to do that. And telling my story, you know, my story can be heavy. It can be a heavy story when you hear my story. But with the levity that I bring to it, with the humor, the self-deprecation that I bring to it, it brings a level of lightness and relatability that allows people to really consume that and, and metabolize that in a, in a way that just wouldn't otherwise be possible. I don't think people would be as open to hear what I have to say if I didn't use that humor. And you talk about positive belief, the most important thing to success. Yeah, you. I mean, if, if you don't believe in you, Who's going to, right? I mean, and it's positive belief is is, is okay, even if 
you know, you think you are a little better than you think you are. You know, that that's okay. Nobody's world-class because they don't have any weaknesses. It's the way that we relate to those weaknesses and surround ourselves with people who augment or offset those weaknesses that, that matters, right? That's the important part is understanding we all have weaknesses and we need people around us who can help us offset those weaknesses, but you've got to believe in you. You know, positive belief is probably the single most important factor that determines your success in life. How do we bring ourselves when we start going negative to bring ourselves back to the positive, back to positive belief? Well, I think it's important to understand that it's normal. You know, there's a, there's a fine line between letting emotions run their course. You know, emotions are like waves in an ocean. Sometimes they roll in slowly and sometimes they crash. But every wave after it, it comes to shore, it rolls back out. And emotions are the same way. It's fine to be struck with a wave. It's fine to be struck with emotion. What's not fine is ruminating. And so you, you really have to ask yourself, am I inviting this emotion to roll back into the, the ocean or not? Am I holding on to it? And, you know, is it continuing to serve me? Have I let it run its course? And so I think personal reflection is really helpful there. You know, personally, I meditate every day, mindfulness meditation, which helps me have greater clarity on what's going on inside me. And then also, I strongly advocate journaling as well on a daily basis to understand what are the things that are going on subconsciously that I need to be aware of and, and how can I combine what I'm doing with my sitting practices and mindfulness to understand what's coming up when I'm trying to focus on the breathing and who are these visitors, who, who these thoughts you know, who come to visit me when I'm there trying to focus on my attention and oftentimes those are really great topics to use for journaling. So if you can take those things that keep coming up in meditation and, and put those into journaling, a lot of times you'll find that to be very cathartic to help exercise and ventilate a lot of those emotions. So I want to ask you, you know, I'm interested in sports just like you. How do you motivate an athlete? And athletes tend to be, you know, tend to be, almost at the highest level of motivation many times. How do you even bring them to the next level? Yeah, I don't think it's about motivating as much as it is helping with resilient ways of thinking. Um, that, that's really what I tend to focus on. Productive ways of thinking about the natural course of adversity that comes up. And so situations arise with athletes, with professionals, with everybody and, you know, it's, it's sort of easy to get caught up in the reactionary mindset, but I think where I can really help is help athletes understand a better way of showing up in a, in a set of circumstances, a, a, a way to think more resiliently about what's going on, really, you know, figuring out how to stop fighting the waves of adversity and start riding the waves of, of adversity. And so that, and that's true, whether, you know, you're an athlete or you're in the boardroom or, you know, you're, you're staying at home, you know, watching the kids, all of us are facing adversity. And if we can just acquire the skill, and I do believe it is a skill, I don't think it's a, 
it's a natural thing. I mean, some of us, you know, have a tendency to be more positive, but, you know, resilience is not just being positive or, or trying harder or not giving up. While those things are byproducts of being more resilient, they're not particularly helpful. And so I like to think in terms of what are the concrete actions that we can take to apply to a situation to think more resiliently. And as a byproduct of that, yeah, people will be more optimistic. People will try harder. People will be less prone to give up and they'll achieve better results as a, as a byproduct of that. You know, that's, that's a great point because, you know, athletes are always trying to get better. They're always trying to be better. And I, I know same with doctors. We always want to be better. We always want to make sure that we can help the next person. And sometimes we'll fall into that trap and, or we're associated with people that are toxic. What yeah. do you say to somebody who has a toxic person in their family, who's always negative, always has something negative to say? Um, it's tough. I think um, what's probably most important in those situations is um, your own personal self-care practices. I find that a lot of times if you allow other people to disrupt your centeredness, your place of balance, maybe you're not giving yourself the level of spaciousness that you need in your own life, you know, the, the amount of stillness in your life. And so I think our, our culture tends to prize being in motion a lot. Um, and when we're in motion, it's hard for us to have the balance. It's hard for us to have the clarity of what's going on inside us. And so I do really believe there's value in having stillness in our day. That's why I mentioned I, I do the mindfulness in the morning for 30 minutes. And, you know, the ancients would talk about mindfulness. I don't know if you've heard of the, the way that they talk about it, but picture, if you will, a really big bowl that has potted soil in it and water. And if you take that bowl with water and soil and you stir it up, you put it in motion. How easy is it to see through that bowl? You can't see anything. It's all muddy and dirty and foggy. And we don't know what's going on inside that. Well, that's like our minds and like our, our emotional awareness and our spiritual awareness if we're always in motion. But by creating some spaciousness to slow down and, and to be still and let the soil in that bowl settle to the bottom, all of a sudden there's clarity. You can see inside the bowl. You can see inside yourself. And it allows you to connect with what's inside of you in a way that makes you more resilient and balanced when that person around you is being negative, is being more toxic. And it's, I'm not going to say that it makes it go away. It doesn't, but you can't really change that person. The only person that you can change is you. And so if you can acquire the self-care practices, for me, it's sitting, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's working out in the mornings, it's journaling. The things that I know put me in the best 
possible state of mind and being so that I can endure those types of situations without being knocked off center. That That's what I would suggest for people listening. If they're dealing with somebody like that, those people are, you're not going to change other people. Seldom does that happen, but you can change the way that you show up in a given situation. So take ownership of you and your ability to maintain balance despite what's going on around you. Tell us about some of the silly things people say to you as a blind person. <laughs> uh, I've heard it all. I remember one time I was at the mall and a lady asked me if I was training the dog. <laughs> and I said, no, no, his dog is trained. He's a service dog. And she's curious, right? So she waits for a minute and she says, okay, well, what's the service? What's he do? And I said, well, you see, I'm blind. So this dog guides me. And she pauses for a minute and she comes back and says, yeah, but you don't look blind. Yeah. <laughs> and this time I couldn't resist. I'm like, oh, thank you. And you don't look rude. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to have a little more patience for people who let their eyesight impair their judgment. Another time guy comes up to me, he says, hey, excuse me, sir. Hey, is that one of those blind dogs? I said, man, I hope not. If we're both blind, if, if we're both blind, I'm in big trouble, but I've, I've heard it all, Carrie. I've heard it all. I mean, I know that when I get on an elevator, for example, you know, I can feel the tension in the elevator, you know, and so I get on the elevator and there's, it's crowded and there's a big German shepherd. And so I'll say something to ease the tension because I can, you can just feel it. People are quiet and nobody's saying anything. And it's, it just, it feels tense. And I'll say, Hey, don't worry. My dog hasn't bitten anyone in weeks. You're good. <laughs> I want to finish up with talk about, and I think this is a really important point. Hope is not a plan. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, you got a lot of dreamers out there and um, that's what they do is dream. And dreaming is great, but dreaming without taking action is called hope. And hope is not a plan. Hope's not a strategy. Hope is good to have, uh, but hope without action doesn't create progress. And so I believe that dreamers hope to succeed, but doers inevitably succeed. So you've got to combine a dream and hope with action. You know, the number one progress preventer is in action. You've got to, you've got to take some chances, you know, you've got to move and, and charge towards whatever goals and objectives you have in your life. They're not going to take care of themselves. So I just, I think having hope is a great thing. I think it's the currency that humanity trades in, frankly. I think we all, without hope, humanity ceases to exist, ceases to evolve, ceases to progress. So it's very important. But without action, um, it's futile, right? I mean, what, what is hope without action? And preventing unmet potentials. Yes, yes, exactly. That would be, and, and that's, that's one of the scariest things to me is the, the thought of going to my grave with unmet potential. Yeah, it's one of the most terrifying things is knowing that I could have been who I dreamed of being if I had just done enough, um, just just had a little more blind ambition as, as I talk about in my book. Well, as we're finishing up here, I wanna thank uh, Chad Forster for joining me today, the author of Blind Ambition, 
has a fantastic newsletter, gives motivational speaks, speeches throughout the country, has made companies millions of dollars, and now he's sharing his knowledge with people all around the world to help make them a better person. I know my audience is going to be a better person from listening to you, and I know I'm going to be a, a better person from, from listening to you. So if people want to find out more about you, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, they can go to my website. It's the best place to start, chadefoster.com. My book is uh, sort of everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wh wherever people buy books. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, they can go to my website. I've got things there, some videos there, speaking topics, uh, information about my book, links to press articles, and then you know information about my, my coaching practice as well. I have uh, also do executive coaching. And so people can find out all the information that they want by just visiting chadefoster.com. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes Radio on AM 1280, The Patriot. I want to thank Chad Foster for joining us today. It was a tremendous interview. Go out there and get his book. Thank you for listening. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.